From the West Coast Adult Swim headquarters in Burbank, I'm Matt Harrigan. This is the Adult Swim podcast. Today, I'm talking to Tommy Blacha, co-creator of Metal Aquilips, creator of Mongo Wrestling Alliance, wrote for Conan for a long time, uh, WWE, one of the first TV writers for WWE, TV Funhouse, lots of great shows. He's a funny guy. Here he is now. You were at Conan for what, five or six years? Uh, four years. Four years? Yeah. Do you remember your first joke? Um, or your first funny thing? The first great thing that, I, that worked for me that I liked, because I, I, I applied for, I was a college roommate with Andy Richter, so I applied for the first wave of uh, writers. With uh-huh. the, and it was like, hey, Conan O'Brien's going to have a late night show. Did you know of him before? Not really. Uh, just, just the the fact that like, oh, he wrote for SNL and The Simpsons and all this, and and the show, not necessarily the news, which I liked on yeah. HBO years ago, and and even Andy wasn't going to be the sidekick; he was just a, a you know writer, and uh, so I submitted, and it, we didn't know what it was going to be, you know, or anything, and then didn't get hired in the first wave, and then started to to see it, and then Andy, you know, in his ways, like. Yeah, I guess they're going to make me the sidekick, you know, just it's like, you know, I'm just like charming and funny and uh, hanging around the office and they needed a good, sh- I guess, shill at work. You guys were roommates? In college, yeah. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, uh, in Chicago. Yeah, we had a, a apartment together, lots of good parties and madness, you wouldn't believe. But uh, so then like the one guy, about a year into the show, I just got a call and it was great because... I had been uh, selling marijuana for a living yeah. in Chicago, You're and it was weed dealer. Yeah, we, uh-huh. <laughs> well, don't be so disparaging. Now, <laughs> now it's an industry. That's right. You were ahead of the game. Yeah, it was. It was incredible. Like Chicago was so friendly. I went to uh, <clears throat> School of the Art Institute and Chico- Columbia College, mm-hmm. Chicago, and uh, but at a certain point, I was like, like I didn't smoke weed, and I just on Friday, I had a separate phone. And I lived with my uh, girlfriend at the time, and I said, Friday, just stay out of the house 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And everyone I knew that, because this business kind of like, it was all like people like, uh, I'd like to buy six quarters, quarter uh, ounces for my theater group. You have any trouble? None. No, no. Nothing. It was, no it was cops, a, no. Nothing. It was people a, sticking you up. It was amazing. I sold to a cop. <laughs> It was like it was neighborhood. It was just na- right. you know, and, it was, and that's why weed, you know, is what it is. Today. So yeah. Right. Anyway, so I just stopped. I said like I gotta you know get into like something. You know, I have aspirations to do something creative, and I was making an independent movie with a friend, which now means nothing because I don't want an idiot with a camera as IMDb makes yeah, a movie. Yeah, Nineteen ninety-two, like oh, yeah. you know, it was like something, and the whole thing like fell apart bad and i was like so like depressed and i'm like oh man and then that day i got a call it was andy I was like hey they saw your pack and they want to hire you and i never had like a wave of like just chemical change in my body from yeah. depression that just with one phone call like fuck i tried hard this thing fell apart and i'm 30 and i'm not doing anything creative and now i'm fucking back to square one I'm so in such a dark place. Hello? Yeah. I'm going to New York. And I'm making more wow, money. like a movie. Yeah. Making more money than I ever you know, thought I would. Holy and shit. So just like packed it up, went to New York. How long does that take? I mean, you get the phone call, you hang up and... Oh, I... A week. A week. Yeah, something real, real You're fast. You're like, I'm out of here. Real fast. Well, awesome. I lived with my girlfriend at the time. To and break up said, with like, her? No. Uh, she uh, said like, yeah, move out and uh, move with me. And like we, we, we sold all the stuff in the apartment. We had a cool like landlord. We were almost like month to month. And I think she came out in three months or something mm-hmm. like that. It was all finding the apartment in New York at the time was the, the madness. Right. But uh, I stayed with Andy for a bit. And then, uh, so when I first got, that's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, you got the job. Oh, you got a job on Conan O'Brien. That's great. But that's like when the pressure starts. Right. Because I got there, I was like a, you know, I had done improv comedy and some stuff, but I was still kind of a weirdo and kind of like anti, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this cornball Chicago improv comedy shit. And uh-huh. like, I, you know, I just like, uh, you know, I was very left of center. So now you've been palling around with a lot of uh, well-known comedy people. Yeah. I well known now. Yeah. Well, at that time there was people like Dave Keckner, Chris Farley, all the, you know, that whole uh, Chicago. Favreau, all that uh-huh. Chicago scene. So I was more like drinking pals because, you know, I like 
I just wasn't too motivated for improv comedy, mm. as it were, uh, you know, just because a lot of those guys are great in Legends. But that's just me personally. Like, uh, I like just like, you know, weirder, darker, stupid, stupider shit, I guess. But anyways, so I got this job and I was kind of like, oh, okay, how exactly do I? I don't really have this kind of like comedy writer chops. Exactly. What, did, how, what did you submit? Because the show didn't exist yet. Well, that was funny because I think this happens a lot with people. I submitted a packet of just all kinds of like insane ways to interview guests and different things. I don't really remember too much, but it wasn't very like straightforward stuff. But I think that they, and even people we hired subsequently, you kind of look and like, it's not like that's a plug in bit. A lot of times it's like, oh, this is funny. This guy exhibits weird funniness. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow that. We can't do this, but it's a funny idea. Yeah. That came through more than like, because a lot of times people will like, here, let me write spec things or plug in things. You're kind of like, yeah, anyone could come up with the beats for this. Yeah. I think they were looking for like, you know, whatever, the creative solve, problem solver or uh-huh. whatever. So, so anyways, when I first got there, it was kind of like, all right, the pressure started. I was like that first week, like, oh, shit, how do I get stuff on air? Now I could get fired. Fuck yeah. It's like a 13-week cycle, and it's like, oh, and, and a lot of times I wasn't up to like, oh, that thing that just happened, like that. that like a day later, I'll be thinking, you know, it'd be good for that. The thing, you know, like a topical, or or just my my mindset was kind of like, oh, let me ru- or, you know, ruminate on that. Oh, you know, it'd be good. No, that's over. The the pace, yeah, the pace was so daily yeah. that you kind of be like, now I get what to do with that. There was a lot of that to, for me. You didn't have a data. Yeah, I was a meandering creative weirdo that like did whatever videos and weird shit at the time. So I'm like, oh, that no, you don't have. A Bob Dole joke ready to go based right. on the you don't debate. Have, you have that real-time problem-solving, which, like, which, which is the big thing for production, comedy production. Yeah. Like, oh, that pressure. And that, yeah. was, that was, as you know. Pressure and anxiety. Pressure and anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And so I was kind of like floundering, but like kind of like, ooh, you know, the, for a bit. So I came up with the bit was, um, hey, different directors have directed the show. Uh, and I just like pitch it to like, hey, let's say that, you know, because when you'd have those pitch meetings, you know, be like, okay, you know, it's really, all right, some new ideas, you, uh, uh, <laughs> there's no fucking, uh, okay, you, get up, take your right. clothes, let's see your penis, how big is it? <laughs> oh, you said it was this big, it doesn't seem to be that big, let's look at it, under the light, you know. Everyone gather around. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking, <laughs> it's tough. So I came up with a thing that said, uh, Hey, we got a lot of different style directors that directed the the show. A lot of them didn't work out, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then you say like, oh, this guy directed Swedish movies. And then we do like a black and white weird, uh, you know, Ingmar Bergman thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just had some beats, and one of them I kind of introduced where I said like, oh, this action movie uh, guy did it, and I just like wrote a simple thing, just like these dumb beats were like. For whatever reason, we, you know, and at the time, this was more dynamic. Like, now it's nothing like, oh, well, like, you know, we'll do, like, a CinemaScope thing, and we'll film look it. And luckily, everyone was so backwards, all the editors back in the 90s, that, like, any kind of filmic techniques and things, they were like, hey, you're a genius. Like, now it's just, like, <laughs> push a button. Filter, and, yeah. Yeah, it's fucking nothing. So, but I was like, hey, let's get, like, some squibs. Get Andy and some squibs, and they have Andy, like, you know, get in, you know, have Max... Uh, uh, Weinberg for no reason have a shotgun you bastard and shoot and Andy will go in front of Conan and 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 you know his fucking chest will blow uh-huh. up and I don't think anyone ever pitched like weird shit like that like yeah let's just shoot him and have squibs like we gotta you know when I started to realize like we got a budget and a prop thing that, that'll be fun you can start and, spending some money yeah cause I had <clears> messed around <throat> with some of that stuff and like ah oh, it's easy you just put a plate in so everyone's like oh so yeah let's do it and I, it was it they pre-taped it and it was like exciting, and then it worked like for whatever reason when that, when that bit and we did these other bits like you know that were like odd sort of like and a weird Italian director, and I just did like suddenly there's a muscle man, and then Andy's in a, you know just in a wig, and then there's a monkey, just just weird shit like uh-huh. that, and they all kind of like worked pretty good, and then when he he's like got shot and blood came out, it was like yeah, everyone went crazy, and then Conan came out and said like, oh, that was great, that really worked and it was really dynamic. You were the new guy. I was the new guy, and it was like kind of a good dynamic thing. And I was like, uh, that was like when I was like, oh, I think I can. You can relax. I can relax, and I can, you know, a little bit at least be like, oh, I can find find a niche. And to have that be your first sort of paying job in comedy, what great training! Fantastic, for the future, right? Yeah, it was kind of like 
where do I go for And then I went to wrestling, which was even more maniacal at the time. <clears throat> WWE? WWF, WWE. Yeah, at the what's time. the difference between those two? Well, WWF, uh-huh. there is no difference. WWF, forever. We used yeah. to be back in the 60s, the WWF, Worldwide yeah. Wrestling Federation. And from my knowledge, there's a World Wildlife Fund. Right. WWF. And usually, by the letter of the law, they can coexist uh-huh. because the thing being like, I wanted to donate to pandas, and I instead gave it to wrestlers. Like, well, you're, <laughs> if you're that stupid, you know, uh, if they're so different, it's so the average person could not confuse them. I think Vince McMahon, this is, I'm not sure if this is true, kind of sued the WWF because it, it didn't. I don't like anything else being called WWF. Yeah. And since it went to an international court, which is different than what his, like, his guy, Jerry McDevitt. His local ha- judge? Well, no, his, his lawyer for years couldn't handle a lot of stuff in America. You know, the international court was like, no, we side, of course, we side with animal welfare against professional wrestling. You must change. So they had to change it. And I've never liked the name because it doesn't, for me, Vince McMahon has a weird thing against, I don't like to say wrestling or he, he doesn't be, use the word wrestling? Well, he, he doesn't use the word wrestlers. You've got to be a superstar. It's a WWF su- WWE superstar. Wow. Doesn't say wrestlers and, doesn't say, and, and has an aversion to the championship belt. It's not a belt. It's a title. So it's a real culty vibe at the WWFE. Yeah, I think it's so. It's an internal. Yeah, I think so. Uh, led by a charismatic leader. Yes. Yeah. Are yeah. you in that cult, or have you escaped? I, I'm out of that the the, uh, the cult. I'm a survivor of the cult. Yeah, but at the same time, I you know I will, I'll, I guess I'd be like if someone be like, well, you're a survivor of Jim Jones. Yeah, so Jim Jones was evil. No, I think Jim Jones was very. <laughs> I love Vince McMahon. He's treated me nothing but great. He's yeah? incredible. Absolutely. But you go from Harvard Lampoon to why to wrestling? But I never. You know? I think the two different worlds colliding, right? You'd think. You'd think. But then back then, I knew everything's wrestling. And look at the world we live in today. It's all a world. It's, Trump. it's like it is all wrestling. Yeah. But anyways, I, here's a good story. I didn't go to Harvard, right? Right. I, I had like more like a white trash background that knew. Well, I had my friend's dad was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. There's a Detroit promotion owned by the Sheik, so I kind of knew some behind the scenes stuff, and that's when I met. And promoted to have wrestlers on Conan did and cast them in bits, and that's when I met Vince and everything. And at the time, would I would like talk to him like, "Oh, you need to do this guy needs to go over here," and like, "Oh, this guy knows wrestling, and why don't you come on down?" And got involved, and and there was like, no, it was his son, it was another guy. There wasn't mm-hmm. there wasn't TV writers. In fact, the New York Times interviewed me because it was the story was like, "Oh, a Harvard TV guy is getting into wrestling because the ratings were blowing up, and it was right. that, that era." So the, the New York Times calls me, and I'm, they're like, oh, so this is interesting. So you're a, a Harvard guy, and you're going, you know, and you're working for uh, wrestling. That's, you know, that's kind of the angle of the story. And I'm like, well, actually, I don't know where you got that. It's just people assume comedy writers, Conan's at Harvard, but I'm not a Harvard guy. I never, uh-huh. I never didn't go to Harvard. In fact, I'm like, my roots and how I know wrestling is more like this blue-collar shit. And the guy, and the it was a, a a woman on the phone. I forget her name. She's like, "You didn't go to Harvard," and I'm like, "No." And then she giggled and went like, "Are you sure?" And everyone like, "No." Okay, this is another disappointing way of how the world works. So I'm like, "No, I didn't." Okay, interview fine. It's on the cover of, of one of the New York Times because it's me versus a another guy who left and went to TBS. Vince Russo. I don't know if you know him. Uh-huh. Anyways, Harvard writer. That's the whole angle. You know, Harvard TV Gordy. writer now goes into wrestling. Wow. And I'm like, and, and I had gone back to, uh, I was still living in New York, and I was at a party or something with Conan, and, and since he's a Harvard guy, I'm like, you know, I was kind of like, I didn't misrepresent myself. I told them in no uh-huh. uncertain terms, no, and then we went back and forth. In fact, the person said, are you sure, and giggled. So that's just like, sorry, folks. Wow, they needed the story. New York Times, so it's like this. Uh, hey, boss, this, you know, yeah, we got to love this angle. Harvard guy writes for wrestling. Yeah, boss, that guy didn't go to Harvard. What? I didn't hear that. Harvard guy <laughs> goes to wrestling, you know. And it's just like, and everything that I've ever been involved with in a news story that's been publicated is always like, ah, oh, two facts, upside down. or Wow. Yeah, so. That's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it's just an entertainment story, but it just goes to show yeah. you, like, from that day on. Did the people at the wwf think that you went to harvard 
or did or in other words, did they perceive you as here's this sort of you know Harvard Lampoon guy coming in to bring his uh, effete expertise to wrestling? No, not really. At the time, while the pace was so crazy, I don't think people even nobody cared. Yeah, nobody cared, and and it was just so it was just like a new guy. Oh, the new guy. He's got Vince's ear. What was weird was at the time, just I didn't realize when you go on the road and and you go into an arena and and, you, and when there's a wrestling show and it'd be like TV catering, you know they have their signs up. Vince's office, like no one gets to just walk into Vince's office. But I had this weird thing because I produced a segment when he was on Conan and he I came out to his office and so I was like, he, hey, this guy's gonna be working with us now and i was up at the production table in meetings and i didn't realize people were like who the fuck is this right who's this guy new guy who's this guy that gets you know i've worked here 20 years i can't walk into vince's office wow and you know going on the plane with him and all all that shit so just by virtue of that what was it is it your is it your confidence you're sort of um i think think you said earlier before we started that people like to be told what to do in comedy yeah, well, it was a little accurate? bit of that. I think at the time, I did kind of say to Vince, oh, it's growing. I like this guy. You should do this. But I was kind of more, here's what happened. Good lesson in life. I was just trying to crack him up and then help produce his segment and then, you know, show my expertise about wrestling. And I just cracked him up a lot, really. Made him, you made Vince laugh. I don't think I've ever seen him laugh. Yeah. Oh, he laughs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's fucking <laughs> incredible. But uh, so... Then he was on the show, and also he like at the time it was a kind of a people don't realize like now a wrestler's on a show big deal. It was like a bigger deal for, to get wrestlers on a talk show. People still look their their down their nose at that entertainment. Yeah, and that entertainment was growing. And Vince now now it's like a corporate thing. But at the time, remember there was a guy in New York Post Mushnick, and wrestling was evil, and they're hurting kids, and you know it's, it's all that kind of yeah. Shit. Actually. The, that's the more shit reason I loved it. Uh-huh. Like, now we're fully accepted by society. Oh. Yeah, it was Boo. better when you're sort of a... Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. But, uh, so anyways, he said, I was ready to move out to Los Angeles. I was, like, leaving Conan. You know, it just was all, like, planned in, in like, a month after Vince was on. And, and I had had gold dust on and, you know, then cast the big show and some things. Mm-hmm. So they knew about me, like... and. Uh, Oh, we got a friend in New York, you know, and Conan, you know, knows what, he's wisened up, knows about wrestling and what have you. So then the greatest thing was, like, I got a call from Vince McMahon at my home, and like, uh, Vince McMahon, and like, you know, at the time, was just like, with my girlfriend. Does he call you, or does he call me for Vince? Personally. Oh. He, he called me personally. He's like, hey, what, what do you, you know, I heard you're leaving the show, like, like a weird thing, heard you're leaving, like, yeah, why don't, why don't you come down and, uh. Let's talk about some things. And I was like, okay. And it was just that. And I was like, oh, that. I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm walking on air. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. So went down to his Connecticut office. And he's like, oh, why don't you, why don't you come down to a couple shows and consult? We'll give you $1,000 a night. You know, I'm like, okay. And I had plans to like move to, to, uh, yeah. to uh, California. So he opened up in his office. At the time, you know, this is before 9-11 or anything, he opened up his big book with, you know, handwritten things. Where do you want to go? We're in Boston. We're in here. And I'm like, oh, let's, all right, let's go to Louisville in here. That seems good. All right. And then his executive assistant at the time, like, they had a printer in the side office, and they just cut you airplane tickets right then. Wow. It was, like, so sexy, you know, 1999, just like, here's your tickets. And then, like, oh, and they also cut, like, cashier's checks for, like, because you're pretty him. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, this is incredible. So, And you loved wrestling. Loved it. Went out there, and it was really kind of odd. Like, So I'm like, you know, like, oh, who's this? Is this uh, some cousin? Or You know what I mean? Or some Stephanie McMahon's new boyfriend? Right. Some, <laughs> right. like, you know, like, who's this uh, guy? Son-in-law. The other guy, there's a guy, Vince Russo. He was kind of like the guy, like the right-hand creative guy. And he was like running stuff with this other guy. And he was sort of like, oh, I didn't know who you are, you were coming around. It was kind of odd for him to be yeah. like, hey, now there's this guy. So did that for two weeks, and then the third week I was like, well, that was fun. I'm going to move to California like I thought. And this Vince Russo guy, you know, was nice, and I was like, kind of like, oh, am I stepping on his toes? I don't know. If things weren't, it wasn't really like, here's a job. It was just like, come hang out and paid you right. some consultants. So it was like kind of like weird, but it was fantastic. So helped produce some stuff and kind of like, 
went to some different cities, and then like I was like, oh, I think I'm, I think that's it. And so I called, uh, or I was talking to Vince Russo, and I said, uh, yeah, I think. Uh, and and this this third week they were going to be there was a show Monday in Madison Square Garden, and then Tuesday in uh, Nassau, Long Island, uh, Nassau Coliseum. And I go, I, you know, it was nice meeting you and everything. I think I'm, you know, that was great. That was fun. And I'm going to, you know, continue with my plans to move to California and get a job on The Simpsons or whatever the right. fuck I was going to try to do. And uh, Vince Russo goes, just go to go to TV and, uh, and next week in New York. You live in New York. Just go, like, one more week. Just, you know. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I feel bad. Like, no, just go, just go next week. Just you go. You feel like you were like pushing. Yeah, like well, I don't know why. I don't need to. Like, just, just go, just go one more week. It was really weird. So I was like, okay. I went that next week, and uh, Vince and Shane were there, and they're they like, hey, we need we'd like to talk to you, and and I'm like, what? And he goes, well, Vince Russo and uh, another guy. They have left. That goddamn asshole Ted Turner has hired them away to TBS or WCW. If you remember the great, this was the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, because Ted Turner, long story, uh, wanted to buy the WWF from Vince McMahon. Wow. And Vince was a family business, so they loved each other. Then they hated each other, but who knows how much they were wow. in dudes. But but Ted Turner then real life right, wrestling. I'm gonna. He bought uh, you know Georgia Championship Wrestling, yeah. and, and he built WCW, so that was the beginning of, they, of them going after each other. So, so he stole Vince Russo. He stole those guys. Well, uh, there's two parties in what they say. Right. Uh, but basically he said, like, he hired him away, and people didn't know, and then, like, we're, 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 we're caught without anyone. We, and Vince McMahon goes, we need you, man. Let's, let's do the show. And we don't, we don't have a script. We don't have nothing. That goddamn Vince Russo left us high and dry. Subsequently, I talked to Vince Russo, and he said, I left everything. I left a script and everything. So uh-huh. w- w- I'm just telling you both sides. Right. So we have the yellow pad, like, okay, here's first segment, this. And that's how we used to do it, like yellow pad, and, and then have a production meeting in the city. And, and then right there, I was, like, sitting up there at the table with Vince and Shane and everyone, and, like, the, the, then what happens? Well, the announcement <laughs> was, like, Vince Russo is gone, but we're going to, you know, forge ahead. So then... I'm like, oh, like just on the fly. I'm producing shit, and I'm kind of it's so fast, you know, because that show is live, live. Yeah. And then after you know the show ends at midnight, and like, okay, the crew's like leaving, and they're they're setting up the next show in Long Mm -hmm. Island, you know, for the next day because used to be Monday Night Raw live. Tuesday was SmackDown to tape that would air on Thursday. So we went to the next city, and then I'm like, set up some stuff, and there was a wrestler named uh, Draws, and Darren Drozdoff. And I was like, hey, let's do a bit where, you know, the uh, he's going to puke in a guy's bag. If you see Beyond the Mat, he's the guy called Puke. He could puke in a bag and did a bit where, like, he's going to puke in D'Lo Brown's bag and set up a match. So he's doing all stuff. Wow, oh, that's great. And during that that match, Jaron Drozdov was a big guy, and he was all sweaty, and he fell and he fell on his head really awkwardly. And I was, like, there, and it was like, whoa. And he was like laying in the ring just like heaving and saying like oh i heard my neck pop I, i'm fucked he said something to that effect i mm-hmm. can't remember and so it was like it was like a second to the last match some of the night and it was just crazy and uh so he got taken away and he subsequently is paralyzed from oh, this shit. event and it was just crazy and then we had to like quickly meet and there was another event, and then like you know as people were crying and shit it was awful it was like Okay, how you know we had to like kind of figure out how do we edit the show because it had to be delivered quickly. Right. So this like horrible reality of having to do something like that, you know, was so crazy. And then I lived in New York, so I was driving home from I can't remember like Nassau Coliseum, Long Island. It's like an hour and a half or something, and it was so weird. And also, my my girlfriend at the time, I was like. Saying, well, I'm probably just going to go say goodbye to the guys at Madison Square Garden. I'll be back. And then I called and said, like, oh, actually, I'm going to work these two shows. So I kind of almost went from, like, I'll be back for lunch to, like, I sub- suddenly became one of the more powerful persons in pro wrestling behind the scenes. And, <laughs> and that was it. And that, that night I was driving back, I got, like, lost. Because I was just was so, my head was so, like, in such a weird, I felt like I had been gone a month. Yeah. And I suddenly I was like, oh, my God, I'm on the, how am I going to Staten Island? It took me so, I got home at like four in the morning, and it was just like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm working for wrestling. Yeah. 
I stopped my plans to go to New York. And then I worked for wrestling for like three months because the pace was so crazy. Then Vince was like, we're starting the XFL. The pace was incredible. I didn't even get paid. And I just like, oh, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll talk about that. And there was a certain point where like, I was kind of like, oh, I'm dipping into my savings. Right, I'm you know, paying rent you. would come and stuff. And I wasn't spending money because we're on the road. And I'm just like, holy, like, I kind of in the back of my head was like, what am I going to be just like, ha ha, fuck you. <laughs> but just in so many things like right out of a movie, I'm like, I said like, hey, I need to like, and it wasn't like they were blowing me off. It was yeah. just the pace is insane because yeah. you're in different cities. Oh, I meet Vince here and then fly here and do, wow. you know. And I talked to Shane. I was like, uh, his son, who's the greatest, was like, I was like, yeah, I need to settle this money thing. And he's like, he fucking write, write down a number. And he gave me like a piece of paper to write down a number. And I'm like, so I wrote down. Any a, number? <laughs> I wrote down a healthy number, kind yeah. of like. Like if like an like kind of a fucking idiot a rube. Uh-huh. This is what I made at Conan, which is good. I'm gonna bump it up a little, yeah. and then I like wrote it down. And then he's like, "All right," and I'm like, "Fuck!" So I should have wrote. Oh, wait, that's the wrong. No, that that, that, that you didn't see that last zero. <laughs> like, but it was you know taken care of, and then uh, you know uh, uh, I worked there about a, a year and a half or so, and then uh, I didn't expect to. But at a certain point, it was like. Marry that girl or leave her. It's kind of that world. Yeah. It's like to respect it is like you're all in or not. So, yeah. you know, and I said like, oh, I want to go do other things. And, I, you know, I still had that aspiration. I didn't, you know, like it really curtailed me because yeah. I had a place I was going to stay in L.A. And I just screwed all that off. And and, and you had the Conan thing in your pocket, which is yeah. a great credential yeah so uh and at the time it was weird because even my my agent i'm like i negotiated my own thing and i'm and at the time it was weird like now it's it sucks for me because i think like oh another uh, wrestling writer i'm like no i was like the the first one the first one (laughs) you know sort of i kind of say like i'm the first tv writer that ruined wrestling So you have Conan, and then you have WWE or WWF. Uh-huh. Two pretty different worlds, but the same skill from, in a way demanding yeah, of you. High pressure, creative problem solving. Yeah, and you know, it's in, in a way, it's a it's a similar skill. So and it's TV may, production. People don't understand that maybe about writing comedy is that that doesn't seem that seems an unexpected demand. Yeah, well, it's high a, pressure problem solving. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing you worked for Letterman, so it's a, it's that that kind of strip show or what have you. Yeah, it, it's similar to news, yeah. sports, yeah. comedy. Yeah, because it's a it's a high pressure, creative problem solving. Some then you get out to L.A. and you work on sitcoms and thing, and it's like it's the same thing, but it's like it's a meandering, shitty subset of like oh, let's think too much about this. Now it's like the overthink of the dumb. So that's what is that what you did next? You worked on sitcoms. Uh, Next, I came out. Uh, what did I do next? The TV Funhouse. I did TV Funhouse, which yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, which was like uh, uh, animals, puppets, Smigel, madness, yeah. boy, and, and, and what a great combination! Of yeah, things. just a blast. And also, it, it was it, it was very unique to Robert Smigel in terms of like, hey, I want to do this. It was like a fake kid show. I want to do like a. Black Sabbath parody cartoon, like the old Beatles cartoon. Okay, do it. And you did it. <laughs> and then we had like the the guy, the Wachtenheim uh, and Marietti. These two, yeah, uh, you know the yeah. those guys, animators. Yeah, yeah, they were just like animating in the office. So it was just like this: do whatever, do you know, just bite off more than you can chew. Do a bunch of cartoons, and so learned a lot about like cartoons. Yeah, you do the voice, you know. So you'd be like, oh, you're writing, you're doing voices, you're on set. You was know? that the first cartoon? That you made? Yes. Uh, the uh, Black Sabbath parody. Then it did a, 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 um, Stedman and Oprah. Uh, it's, it's, it's like Stedman is a fake superhero that does everything he can to keep from sleeping with Oprah. Uh, pretty rude. Uh, with Andy Breckman, who's like, uh, who created Monk and was like a, right. you know. 
and that was the other great thing about Smigel, like Andy Breckman, like, oh, this legendary guy's in the office. And like, he had the idea, like, oh, I have this idea that's like this. And then we went in Times Square, let's go to the TGI Fridays. And we wrote it in like 45 minutes. And then I just produced it. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, that's fantastic. So just like weird experiences like that yeah. were so fun. Based on like Robert Smigel's, you know. The show was so funny with the fake animals mixing with the real animals. Yeah. What a yeah. weird show. I heard that was a real pain in the pain in the ass to make. Is that true? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And well, n- not so much for me because uh-huh. uh, I'll say this: Robert Smigel. I think the show went from like we're going to do ten. No, they're going to do eight. So he had a way <laughs> of just like he's had a way about him for like God forbid being a TV executive dealing with Robert Smigel. You're like, yeah. oh, but being a writer, he's got your back, and yeah. he'll, you know what I mean. So my you know, it, my uh, experience is fantastic, you yeah. know, because it's just supported. And, you know, he'll even do something that, like, eh, I don't really like that. Oh, the executives don't like it. Well, wow. <laughs> fight for it. I love it. <laughs> you know, so he, so, you know, from from that perspective, it was it was great. Yeah. And, and I don't even realize how great it was till like, later. Just, but, um, yeah, in fact, I have the, you know, Dino Stamatopoulos. <laughs> The fucking greatest story. I was calling it the story so great that when I told it, I underbellished it because <laughs> because I didn't. There's no need to embellish it. So we're we're uh, there was a scene where there was um uh, he was a goose as a Dino. puppet Dino uh-huh. and I was a couple other puppets. So we had so you're sitting on apple crates right and you have a headset on right with a you know because you're doing the voice with a uh, microphone here and. The cameras are up on jibs, and there's a church setting, and there's these pews. So I had like a couple puppets like on a stick, and I think I had a goose where I had to say like, excuse me, and turn the head or something. So you're, you're looking on a monitor, right, with your arms up like this for a long time, and, you know, and, then, the, and then the director's going to yell action, and you, and you do it, and it's kind of backwards, so it's odd and awkward. So Dino and I are like kind of cramped in next to each other, like knee to knee. And we're like, okay, here's the scene. And like, okay, hurry, because our arms are up there. Then, since there has to be a live animal, they bring in a live goose, right? There's a dog and a goose. And then that's just mayhem, because they're never looking the right way. So it's like, action. And then like, oh, hey, I've got a, oh, the dog's, oh, okay, cut. Well, fuck, can I take my arms out? No, hold on, we'll just reset the dog. Fuck, my arms are fucking tired. You're just like, oh my fuck, my arms. So Dino's across from me, and, and they bring in this live goose, which is big, and, it, and it's got a tether on its leg, and it's, it's on a pedestal. And re- remember, everything's up high, and the cameras are shooting this way, so it just it looks like, oh, this is a church scene with pews. You don't realize below is the weirdos you know, doing this. So this goose is on a pedestal, and it's big, and it's kind of intimidating, and it keeps looking down, and it's like looking agitated, and I'm like, all right, right above Dino, right? So... <laughs> We're like, okay, hello, here's the scene. Oh, and there's also like a flash pot in the scene, like, because God comes or something. So it's just, are you kidding me? Like, dude, okay, bring in the dog, flash pot, puppets, go turn your, you know, like, oh, I've got my line. This goose looks down at Dino. I'll never forget it. He's right here, right? Like, there's, we're, goose is up here, and a goose has a cloaca, which is a vagina and a rectum in one. And it opens up, and if you've ever seen, like, goose shit from, like, a, a golf course, it's, but when you see it live, it's basically, like, a, a bird shit yolk inside, like, a, like, egg white, you know? It's, like, it's, like, egg, eggy. It's not just, like, a, you know, bird turd. It's, it's, like, an egg. So, I'm like this, and I see the thing open up, and it just shits, and it, the shit's running down on, on Dino, and I'm, I'm doing my line like, oh, I've got to look out. And I'm looking, and the Dino is there, and Dino's about to do his line. And this fucking egg-like huge goose shit just goes boom right on his head. And I'm like, oh. And Dino's like, oh, fuck. And he gets up, and then the director's like, wait, what? Hold on. What's happening? And Dino's like, fuck it. And he's so grossed out, he, he like leaves. And then Smigel's coming in like, what's happening? And then the director's like, okay, reset. And I'm like, Dino's gone. Well, where is he? And Dino's, and they're kind of like, Dino, get back in there. And he's like, fuck you, fuck it. I got fucking shit on me. And when I told the story, like, I told it to Dino. And I'm like, he goes, you didn't tell the best part. The, the fucking shit went right in my mouth. And I'm like, oh, I, un- I underbellished the story. It's so good. I didn't. And so then he finally, oh, he came back and he had like a grocery bag, a plastic grocery bag with the headband on all in. And he's like, gives the goose. And they're like, oh, I just never forget. It. We're all set like that. We're going to do it again. 
And the director was like, uh, we can hear that crinkling. And Dino just like, too fucking bad. Fucking fix it. <laughs> just like just up to here. Crinkling. Yeah, because he was wearing a plastic bag because in case of goose shit. Holy so, shit. Stuff like that. So that would, got cut down to eight episodes. Yeah. God, I'll, I'll just tell this one story, too, because it's so it's just one of my favorite things ever. There was puppeteers there. Because from the union, because they had to have union puppeteers or something. Yeah. So they had, and a lot of these puppets, there was a turkey, pu- all these kind of puppets. And they were there, like, constantly fixing them. So yeah. There was a table with hot glue gun fixing it. And Smigel didn't like one of these puppeteers, because they, they were just, they were, they had their, like, well, here's how we do it as a puppeteer. And Smigel's like, no, nah, no, nah, he just wants, like, comedy timing. Uh-huh. So a lot of times it was just that, like, you know, even though you're turning a goose's head, it's slow burn or whatever, just timing and they wouldn't get it sometimes like whoa they just like overact or just yeah. had that but it was kind of like a they would they would just be confrontational immediately uh smile i want to just do what he wants how he wants to do it. it's a comedy show whoa yeah, the puppet you know right that's I not i got a birthday party that's not being respectful to the art of puppeteering you know or whatever so this guy one guy and you have a headband with like they said the the microphone down there and Smigel, in his way, just goes, ah, like, the guy's this close. He's like, he can't do it. It's like, he can't do it. He just, Tommy, get in there. Just, you do it. And so the guy was just, like, all sad and, like, you know, was like, I'm a puppeteer. And I'm me. and he had to take the, the headband off, and I had to put it on in front of like him. Like a crown. And he just, like, shuffled away. And, you know, there was this side table where all the puppets were being fixed. And I just, was, I just remember him, like, sadly sitting down, like, mad at the table. <laughs> And picking up this magazine and going like this, and it said puppeteering. <laughs> and I was like, ah! I don't know why. I fucking, I was just like, oh my God. I felt bad, but at the same time, like, oh. so I'm to be fired, am I? <laughs> puppeteering. I'll be fine. I don't think he'll ever be on the cover of Puppeteering Guild. <laughs> um. Fucking hey, that's funny. <laughs> How'd you get hooked up with Metalocalypse? Well, I was working on a bunch of shows. I knew Brendan. You're working on Adult Swim shows? No, I was working on just a, a bunch of different shit. And uh, Brendan and I and Pat Healy and this other guy used to do this like really fun comedy show at. Um, Steve Allen Theater, which is gone now, where it was sketch comedy, and the 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 uh, the idea was like we write it and produce it all in the same three hours. Wow. Recipe <laughs> for trouble. Yeah, it was called the <laughs> Dumb Dildo Show, but we you know we said like ah we have a plastic bag and you know but the show was so like low key but it was so fun but actually it was like great and then we we used to do this thing because we we loved death metal and specifically loved uh, Cannibal Corpse and used to do this bit. Uh, that was like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or different plays starring George Corpse Grinder Fisher, the right. lead singer from Cannibal Corpse, and have a wig and have a microphone, and so he would play the other Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross part. He would we would do some different plays where I would just like do the guttural. Mm-hmm. Oh, as Cannibal Corpse, yeah, was. Uh-huh. yeah, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> like uh, uh, liked it, and it's so funny because even then. It seemed like it was more fresher, more new. Like now, mm-hmm. like oh, the Cookie Monster voice. Like uh, you know, right. things get the trends get so fast. Where it's like so. Anyways, it was like we just thought like oh, that's funny. And Lazo was somehow out, out open to like hey, pitch a show. And it was always just in the ether. I don't know. I can't yeah. remember specifically. It was like hey, we should go like pitch a show. And then like yeah, how about like uh, I just we just kicked around like. I should do like a death metal cartoon. That'd be the only place I could do like a death metal cartoon. Right. That would be funny, uh, you know, because, um, so we just kind of kicked around and said like, oh, what if Cannibal Corpse were like a thousand times bigger than the Beatles, like a band like that? Mm-hmm. And that would be just like, oh, how would the world be? And it was, it's funny because it's, you know how they always say in creating something like, if you can get that log line, you know, what if? And that, that sentence worked. What if a death metal band were a thousand times bigger than the Beatles? That was the greatest sentence because we could, every time you wrote stuff, you just reference that. Because the idea being, 
if a band were, think about it, a thousand times more popular than the Beatles, the government would either have to have them on their side or kill them because their influence and, you know, just all just like, oh, that sentence kind of. So a simple, very efficient log line that informs the whole path of the show. Yeah. And that that one really worked because yeah. he's just like, oh, remember. And so at his house, he's such a like a fucking whiz bang guitar player, right. and and uh, it was the emergence of like, hey, here's a drum program, so easy, and like, hey, let's like make a, a theme song, and then we got our dearly beloved uh, departed John Schnapp. Yeah, uh, said like, hey, I'll get my pal. We'll, uh, he'll create you know the characters. And we sat around and just said, like, oh, it's based on, like, oh, these, like, Swedish metal guys. And we looked at some pictures and said, oh, but they should all be kind of different. You know, first mm-hmm. they were all black-haired and, mm-hmm. like, oh, that would be confusing. So we just kind of kicked it around and then he drew a murder face and, like, oh, that's perfect. What a weirdo. And we made a thing that was pretty low-maintenance that was uh, basically the theme song that he did and sang to and uh, wrote, like, just dumb lyrics. Yeah. And... Just did a push in on each character, not animation, and mm-hmm. just snapped it like a little weird background around the circle. But it did se- the great thing that was so efficient about a band was like, oh, it made sense. It wasn't like, he's a family and then he's doing this and he's the, you know, like all this exposition was yeah. happening. It was just like, here's this weird song and these push in, and you kind of thought, like, oh, a cartoon metal band. Brendan described it as like the Brady Bunch to me. Yeah, it's, it, and that they were, you know, they were characters, but they were also a family. Yeah, and they had their own story as a family. We and also that was like a good thing we came up with. Like, uh, being in a band is like being in a family with no love. And I say that to like some anyone who's in bands on the road, and they're just like, oh, right on, you know. So yeah, it was it was a very efficient that way. It's like yeah, it's a family. It's right. like exactly, it's, and and it just all makes sense when they're on the road, and so you don't, you know. It, it just was dynamic, fun, weird, off the wall. And then we just kind of said, okay. It was really, like, efficient. We got around and we're like, oh, let's name them. Uh, first, we named Toki Wartooth by literally going on a corny computer Viking name generator. Uh-huh. And and that's first, what happened? The first name that came up, Toki Wartooth. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we did that and then, like, just named him. And then yeah. we had all the Brendan members said, like, yeah, but one, the drummer, I don't know, they should all be, he should just have, like, a dumb name like pickles or something mm-hmm. and then like oh okay pickles pickles all right <laughs> you know did you change them or did you name them and keep them almost all of them right away we, the drummer was a different name until uh-huh. so that, that should be you know and it did make sense because you got name 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 and pickles and right. you know so really efficient then we just kind of quickly whipped out like here's some weird storylines you know and the one about like Oh, the, the, the head of a coffee, you know, everyone would be like clamoring to be, which is kind of like the, the world is like, you know, even like a shithead. I got to get this guy. Strange bedfellows of like, why would a corporate person want this horrible thing? Like, oh, my sales will go through the roof. Right. And then we just were also like, oh, it should be like loaded with like real death because that's what death metal is all about. You know, right. so heinous. So we just some, um, we just kind of put out like, yeah, hey, let's make like, 20 storylines just really quick like log lines like, uh-huh. or something like that and then we just said the most brutal band you know we just wrote a f- quick thing and that that really that thing combined with this like here look at this thing here's a theme song and here's a push in on each character and that just sells it because you're really like oh i want to see those guys yeah. run around and yeah. be stupid and it's a really smart way to get people's attention yeah it really it really uh worked and it's so funny because i'm this day I see so many decks, I'm immediately like, oh, like deck being a thing with characters. Like, you're too much exposition. Why are you telling me about season, you know? So the deck is like what the executive would see the, in a show pitch. Yeah, it's what people uh-huh. are you know, talking about. Like, here's the character. Here's the world. Here's the environment. Right. You know? Here's and some like, stories. Here's, you know, and you're like, you can't over-explain it until you start to make it. You're, right. Uh, so, but it was just such an efficient way. It's like, they're in a band, and they're together, and, you know. He's the insecure bass player, and he's he's from Norway. So the guy from Sweden looks down his nose at him, and he's this, and you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Real simple, pretty but simple, real clear. Yeah, and uh, got. I can't even remember. I think Lazo, we sent it to him, and it was like, yeah, man, <laughs> just like that, <laughs> fucking incredible Lazo, like. And I, next thing I know, we were in uh, William Street in Atlanta at some kind of like a crawfish boil. Yeah. And like, yeah, man, that's great. That's, you know, 
so then we got I knew Chris Pernowski at Titmouse. Yep. And we're like, hey, let's let's you know go there. I, I, honestly, it's like a little bit of a blur. It was kind of like, all right, that's cool. And they were just moving into their building, so we kind of said, we were also at a first wave of like with flash animation, and let's just do everything here. If we do the voices, let's just get a booth at Titmouse. Let's fuck having sessions. The first time we had a couple sessions somewhere, it's like, oh, we got to have a session, and then. Recording session. That, that costs, yeah, recording mm-hmm. session, that costs money, mm-hmm. and we got to be ready where it's like, we can just be so flexible, especially nowadays. And th- th- what was happening then, it's like, yeah. you just need a computer. Yeah. Yeah, I've gone in this whole wave of, of when you're an old school guy, like knowing like with a switch over to digital, you realize like you go into these studios with big, it's, it's just going on. There could just be a laptop there. Right. It doesn't right. really matter. You're on your phone. Yeah. You got, a, you got a decent microphone and a laptop yeah. and a curtain behind yeah. you. You do broadcast quality. And here we are. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, well, I wouldn't say here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I love a key. So anyways, we, um, it was just kind of like Titmouse just started to get in that first building, put a little booth yeah. in there. Crawford came out and said, like, hey, man, do 20. So we did 20 out of the gate, which was... That's a heavy lift. You know, it was the only... Uh, what I've learned, the bad part was sometimes you almost want to do a pilot because you're like, oh, now we know what we want to do and what we don't want to do. Yeah. When you're starting in production right away, yeah. by the time you get to the third show, you're like, here's how we make it. Fuck. And yeah, you so, could have already gone down the wrong yeah, path. Yeah, and then you look at that that Excel spreadsheet, like looks like a snakeskin, like, ah, oh, you know. <sighs> right. But, um, you know, it was a labor of love, and we had a pretty simple formula. I liked it. was like quarter hour, but always was a song. Yeah. A little bit. If you ever see the show The Monkees... Sure. It was similar in the sense, like, you know how the monkeys had a motivated musical uh-huh. part? Or sometimes they would just break into song, yeah. almost like a musical, because it was thematic. A S- little similar with... Wow. With and monkeys inspired Metalocalypse. Yeah. Because that, just that idea of, like, oh. And it was great for, like, you know, like we had a... Uh, just some episode that was about, like, getting married or something. And then just in the middle, we had the music video. It was just, like... Like and it was like we just were oh we wrote a death metal song about getting married mm-hmm. and then it was like two pe- creatures on the couch growing into each other into a monster and then like oh schnapple you know and mm-hmm. so there was a and in this period we just have this little just dynamic montage about the horror of getting married with the fucking brutal song so right. and you can just cut to it at an efficient point like marriage who wants to do that boom right and you and then also we learned like. To this day, people talk about the quarter-hour structure, and, yeah. like, and then they still talk about, like, well, it's a three-act thing. It's like, well, it's not. It's half as long. So the, when Metalocalypse, I think, really worked good, it was like a lot of times on the fly, we'd be like, let's just go out on that big joke there. Mm-hmm. That's where we just go out, kind of have a reset button, you know? The luxury of the quarter-hour. Yeah, and use that, because a lot of times it's misunderstood, because it's like, what's the resolve? And it's like, it's yeah, sometimes there's a resolve, but when we had music and everything... There's so there's not enough time and yeah. it's so jam packed that we just go go out on the big joke. Uh-huh. It's almost like improv comedy, like, like a one act play. When the, when the person hits the lights, when you uh-huh. have like a little like the big laugh, don't uh-huh. don't stop, and then like oh now I got to get a laugh bigger than that to go out on. Yeah, so you're just like so a lot of times we'd be like you know what, let's just end it there, and then we'd have a little post. We'd have that dynamic like uh, credits roll and then we'd have a little post violence or some yeah some coda or you know and yeah. it was like those were always fun it's like oh so it was really fun to get something like oh that's really and then worked. you did some uh 22s some half hours some 22s and those yeah those those it's weird they become like a different animal a little bit because even mm. if you're used to it like sometimes it's like exactly like that like you know the character well i guess that's that uh, I guess not. I guess there's a bigger <laughs> problem. Like, you know, it's just like, you know. There's a twist coming. Yeah. And then, so you went back to the quarter hour. Yeah. Yeah. Those were just like a couple uh, special. Actually, I, I stopped being involved in, in that season a little, went off and uh, did some other stuff, was just doing like uh, voices. And then it ended. And then it ended. Yeah. But it was fun. Oh, it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's funny. So many people out there like, it doesn't get it. <laughs> Like, you know, yeah. what's the ending? It's like, yeah, how, do you how feel about, about, how about, oh, it's like the lost or anything. Guess what, folks? <laughs> we could tie it up if you want, but, you know, that's. Do you that, stand on this side it should be tied up or it shouldn't be tied up or it doesn't it matter? It shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. 
Unless they gave a lot of money to tie it up, then it should be. <laughs> you know, because it's like the fun to me was always the red herring of the characters. No, in fact, it was almost like a cliche. We've got to do something. No, we must watch them. You know, and they're like, they are linked to the past. Once you start like, okay, what is the link to the past? Yeah. I guess like, all right, we can say, make one if you want. Sounds I don't know. daunting. It is like the show Lost. You're like, everyone's into that show. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that they don't, you know, when you're being, a, you know, a, a, a working professional, you just know in the writer's room, like, I don't know, this is, we're just milking this success while it goes, and then it'll be, here's the pen. I'll look at like Game of Thrones. Yeah, people were pissed at yeah. the way that ended. <laughs> it, it was There's really no, it's a lose lose. It's a right? lose lose. You make something great, and it has to end. Yeah. And I, I no like matter what you do. The Sopranos. Yeah. How do Even you feel about that? I liked it because the, that that David Chase such a weirdo. Like I'm just going to have this dynamic open ended in it because I think you understood it is a lose lose. Yeah. So make it up yourself and and there's no look at Seinfeld too. We're all yeah. look at Mash. Those fucking penultimate endings they yeah. fucking stink. Yeah. Hard. Like really bad. No one's happy. No one's happy. Yeah. So I, I do like. Uh, Sopranos, at least, it's like weird and dynamic. It's like Hitchcock. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, it's where Game of Thrones was like. I'm not a weirdo like that, and whatever. But I, I, the thing that got me was like, "Wow, it's just a couple of like green screen things," and then they're all sitting under a tent saying things. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was it like then, combining comedy, wrestling, and one with Mongo Wrestling Alliance? So you get your own show. Yeah. What's that like? Uh, well, it's a it's a dark period. Yeah, is it a dark period? A little bit for me. Why? Uh, it was it was a tough production. A couple of, uh, just went with a, a Romanian company, mm-hmm. and some of the just the the just it it just is a case of like, man, the monster of production can like ooh if you don't have your shit together you gotta like you're just compromised and you gotta go. So there's a lot of stuff I wasn't quite happy with mm-hmm. because well we tried to do this half really what it boiled down to. Tried to do a half sort of CGI, uh, 3D, mm-hmm. and 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 2D, so kind of like this ambitious thing where like the in-ring stuff will be like CGI, you know, because it's starting to be um, uh, uh, affordable. So th- that that didn't quite like work. It's like oh, the characters don't match, and just that made it like just a catch-up game all the way. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like devastating because you don't want to be like, hey, we need suddenly twice as much money because this kind of uh, high flute idea didn't really pan out. Mm-hmm. So we were catching up and had to then just like switch it back to almost all 2D mm-hmm. and then just getting caught up in that. So there's a lot of shows I really liked and 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 were uh, were funny and some good premises, but it obviously didn't go a second season. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but that was like that's a bitter pill when you're you just kind of a lesson of like you got to have your can't really be experimental if you don't have the uh, the wherewithal to be like, hey, we're going to do a show for them. We'll see. If you're it's going to be frustrating if you're such a hand, uh, hands-on, instantly creative person, you know, uh, controlling people in the wrestling ring, very immediate to having these sort of things that are happening in Romania. Yeah, and yeah, and you don't have as much well, immediate it, control over it. Really, and it wasn't even the. It was just the one. It was a. It was just a very simple thing. A lot of the 3D characters mm-hmm. didn't match, and when you cut to it, it was jarring and wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of was like, you know what? They should all be one way or the other. Mm-hmm. They can't. They can't mix. So we got to switch it up. And then just that alone is like, you know, it's one thing to have deep pockets and like retool, but mm-hmm. when you're in, the, you know, your labor low budget thing that you're right, you're, you're, you're midnight you're, animation. Yeah, you're fucking yourself. So that 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 just became. I'll scramble and you know no one's fault other than mine really Mm -hmm. than to be like we're gonna try this thing and see how it works Mm -hmm. without that you know without really always thinking ahead what if it doesn't how will we be fucked what's Mm -hmm. our plan how will we be fucked yeah so do you do you are you doing is this what you thought you'd be doing with your life comedy um I don't I like say say Storytelling or TV production. Don't say comedy. Yeah. That's what you say like that. Comedy. Comedy. I don't know. Storytelling. I have an aversion to the word comedy. I mean. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. I guess, you know, when you, I was. You, do you know that you were funny when you were a kid? Yeah. 
Yeah, my mom was like super funny. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a funnier bu- than your dad. Yeah, bombastic weirdo. Uh-huh. My dad was a really like sullen, not sullen, but like pretty fierce looking guy, like World War II medic, Battle of the Bulge, kind of like, but he would crack up and he was so straight, like hardly mm-hmm. swore, but he, he, didn't, he didn't have the demeanor of a, you know, a, a, like a, a good Christian guy. He had the demeanor of like, <laughs> of like a kind of a stern, tough guy, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he was very uh, kind of introverted in a way. But he would laugh at the darkest shit sometimes, like mm-hmm. giggle, which always like struck me odd. And he would say something hilarious, one thing every six months. <laughs> but your mom was much funnier. Yeah, my mom was just a fucking, you know, just a, you know, she used to do things like never, in fact, since they're both passed away, I can say it. She would never, uh, it would be horrifying if I told this, and oh, that's ridiculous. She'd be like that. But she used to do like weird things like she had false teeth from an accident, and I would be like, eh, when I was little, and she'd like look at me and then just like let her teeth drop out. <laughs> like, you know, goofy shit like that, just right. like real, like, whoa, and she'd, ah, like, and you're, just, you're like undeniably yeah. like funny and just like open farting sometimes like your mom would yeah yeah just like just because you knew it bugged me you know but I just yeah she was like uh, yeah she was like bombastically funny and weird at home but then always put on airs to people oh you'd never like how do you want to die uh, how would you like to die Tommy you know the older I get I think more like uh I don't, I don't know if I want to die in my sleep. Because that seems, I don't know. I guess, I guess, well, you know, we just put our one dog down recently. And it was kind of perfect. He was 20. Yeah, wow. And, you know, his eyes were gone, but he could still fucking eat. And mm-hmm. we'd kind of like, okay, his back legs are weak. And sometimes, the poor thing, when he takes a shit, he falls over in it. And then we clean him up and like... So when when is the time you know? And then there was just like a a time when it was blank. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of like. So we had the vet come over and put him down and buried him in the backyard. Wow. But I'd like to guess. I'd like to be. I'd like to sp- actually. Now the older I get, I'd like to spend everything in the shell and still have a couple breaths. What do you mean, spend everything? I mean, in the just shell? be like. Ah, there's you know all the thoughts are you know it's all mm-hmm. <laughs> the systems are all gone. Uh-huh. You know, like the dog was, like just nothing's really there. It's blank. Fade out. Yeah. Fade to black. Fade, you know, and just like finally, like, uh, hey, I don't want anything too dramatic. I don't think. I used to think when I was young, I had like a idiotic, like, I want to die young. Like, you know, like, all right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I, I don't know. Just fade. Yeah. Actually, no, you know what? I don't want to answer it. That's what it is. I think uh, uh, I don't want. I don't want to have any business knowing or wanting to know or spending wasting time. Yeah, thinking about it. I kind of okay. think like you I'll, know, I'll rescind the question. Yeah, I'll retract it. Th- 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 that just that never gets anyone anywhere. How do you want? Uh, you imagine in uh, the, the afterlife? Question. How did you want to die? Like this? How did you die? Oh, like this? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> How did you want to die? Like that? And did you die like that? I did. Oh, ain't that something? Gives a fuck. All right? <laughs> Ain't that something? You know, I'd like to buy by snake bite. How's that? Something on the record? Snake, I, I exotic snake bite. That's exactly how I want to go. In a classic fucking car. Oh, sorry, the back I asked. seat of a classic I'm sorry car. Sorry, I asked. Eating the fucking hottest wings on fucking God's green earth. Fucking double fucking the hottest chicks you ever saw and just fucking heart attack. I'm glad I asked it now. Yeah. Yeah. Then St. Peter's going to be like, hey, hold on, dude. I'm going to ride that classic car right through those gates and say, you fucking back off, dude. I've arrived. How's that? That's great. That's great. (laughs) Tommy Blotcher. Music from this episode of the Adult Swim Podcast is a song called Burn Bridges from Dom's album, Sun Brown's Greek Gods. Visit adultsum.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Tommy and I were just talking about. Send your comments to adultsumpodcast at gmail.com. We take requests, we take comments, criticisms, whatever you like. And thank you for listening.